Brexit and the transition period is over. The UK has left the European single market and we are no longer in the EU customs union. So we have finally found an agreement. Glad tidings of great joy. Brexit means breakfast. Brexit. What do you think about Brexit? What, what's that? Brexit is bothering both ends of the business spectrum. Free trade deal between the UK and the EU. A deal. The result of 2020's torturous negotiations is a 1,246-page document, the effects of which are now starting to be fully realised. My name is Nick Wallace, I'm a journalist, and this mini-series for the London Business Hub is about helping businesses get to grips with the practicalities of Britain's new trading environment. In each of the episodes in this series, we'll pair someone running a London-based company with an expert who, hopefully, will be able to answer their questions. Today, we're focusing on a subject that will affect all sorts of businesses, data flow. Specifically, the transfer of digital information between different countries. Talks between the EU and the UK are ongoing, negotiating how data flow will work in the future. Our spotlight business is TestBirds, which describes itself as the world's number one crowd testing and testing solutions company for digital products. Let's say hello to Carl Fryer, international sales team lead at TestBirds. Hi there, Carl. Hi, Nick. How are you? I'm very well, thank you very much. And thanks very much for coming on this podcast. Could you explain a little bit more about what TestBirds does? Yeah, absolutely. TestBirds is a is a crowd testing agency. So what that means is we hold half a million testers from all over the globe, including Europe, uh, Asia, America, everywhere. And the whole purpose of that is to give our clients access to these people locally in their own environments for different types of testing, both from a, a quality perspective to find functional errors in your applications, whether that's web or mobile, or certainly for usability to find the right people to sort of target for how to make your product better uh, in the long and short of it. So if I had a test and trace app that I wanted the entire population to be able to use really easily, I could bring it to you first and say, can you try this out on a cohort of 15 to 99 year olds and see see what the feedback is before it goes live? That's exactly right. Yeah, we can find the individuals that you're looking for. We can test with them, whether it's for the QA, the functional side of things, or the UX side of things, and really get their feedback before you spend a lot of money, you know, going into full-fledged development and those sort of things. Is this a closed loop, or would it be a situation where you might be expecting a certain element of live interaction with people who don't know this is a a beta test, say, or or a non-live product? So what, what I'm asking is, are you harvesting information all the time or do you have a closed loop of crowd testers who've already handed over what information they're going to give you generally speaking it is a closed loop of information we set out a test timeline for them to test within whether that's unmoderated studies so no one's actually monitoring necessarily what they're doing but they write reports for us and then send that back to us or more moderated studies where it's interviews so it's more interactive and those sort of things generally speaking is that sort of closed loop testing cycle but there are instances where we do have to open it up especially for more financial organizations for example where we have tests that last a year for example because it's a continuous development piece mm, and presumably you'd be inputting information from various different markets all the time and i guess you've got to recruit your crowd testers as well haven't you yeah absolutely our crowd is based everywhere that's kind of the benefit so in the uk we've got 25,000 testers but then we've also got 40,000 in germany and 25,000 in the us and so on and so forth so our crowd is very much diverse uh, in that sense. 
So what have the last few years been like? The Brexit vote happened in 2016 and then GDPR came in in 2018. What has it been like trying to operate in the realm of data when there has been so much flux? I think this is where it gets a bit muddy waters. You know, we don't really know what's happening, (laughs) to be honest with you. Generally speaking, what we've done, regardless of the EU referendum, is we followed GDPR rules and we are fully GDPR compliant. So in that, you know, we have a data center that's held in Europe, in Germany. We have a DPO, a data protection officer and those sort of things uh, in place. But we've kept it down the same standard of just following GDPR as is, whether that's in the UK or, or elsewhere. So for us, it's at that stage where we actually don't really know what's going to change. And there's a lot of uncertainty about that. But we're hoping that it just stays the same, of course, that we can just operate as is. Which presumably is even though we've we've now left the European Union. But, but there are these negotiations that are ongoing, which presumably is the UK testing the ground to see how much it can diverge from EU law and look to gain a certificate. I think it's called a certificate of adequacy. Is that correct? I think so. This is one of the unanswered questions for us is, is it just that uncertainty? We look at countries outside of the EU that have very, very different data laws like the, the US, for example, or even Switzerland, which is much more stricter. You know, data can't leave the country, let alone in some instances, not even the building, you know, for some of their banks and stuff. So there's a lot of uncertainty around okay, fine, we are following the same rules as before, but what's to come next? What do we need to change as a business, especially as you know, I'm physically located here in the UK? And so are our testers as well, you know, physically located here. Yeah, the last thing you want is uh, someone shutting off the pipe to Germany, which is where all your data is. Are, are there any specific concerns? Is there anything that's happened since the 1st of January this year that has changed? Or is it a very smooth rollover for what you're trying to achieve? I think it just keeps on coming back. Like we've had the discussions with our DPO and until we have further a a solidified roadmap of what's actually going to happen, we don't really know. We've stayed very much in the same boat. I think the key things for us, though, is one, like you said, you know, we don't want the the pipe to be cut off to Germany. Our data centers are held in Germany and there are there have been instances, for example, where US companies operating in Europe have to have a data center in Europe to be able to sell there, for example, or to have customers there. So that's the first thing is we don't really know if that's going to be the case. Like, do we have to have data centers located elsewhere? But also, is there going to be any change to the data that we can hold for people within Britain. I mean, we, we're very strict about that anyway, and we follow GDPR rules, not not having any you know, personal identifiable information, but we don't know if that's going to change or not. So it's just a lot of uncertainty. Let's see if we can bring some order to the uncertainty by introducing Madeleine Rhodes, who's a commercial solicitor from Redfern Legal LLP, which specialises in data protocols and GDPR. Maddie, welcome. Hi, Nick. Thank you very much. Tespers have obviously got a good system. They've got a good thing going and they don't want Brexit to throw a spanner in the works. What have you seen on the horizon that they may maybe need to be prepared for or start thinking about right now? The key thing with post-Brexit data protection laws is, of course, that the UK would like UK businesses to be able to deal with data, particularly EU data, in a similar way to how they've been dealing with it thus far. I think it's natural to assume that because we in the UK have adopted the UK GDPR, which is very similar in practice, pretty much the same as the EU GDPR, 
to assume that actually we should be able to just go on as normal and our data protection rules should be seen to be absolutely adequate and sufficient in the eyes of the European Commission. Of course, in reality, as you touched on before, this might not be the case going forwards. Just to kind of touch on the key changes, one of the biggest changes is in relation to the EU-UK data flow. So to give you a bit of background, when we were a part of the EU, data could flow freely between any EU-EEA member state. When you say data flow, what does that encompass? Is that anything from an email or does it have to be specific hard information? So personal data is very wide ranging. It can be anything that identifies an individual, a living individual. So it could be something as simple as a name. It could be an IP address. It could be cookie data. So the only thing that they say isn't caught by it is completely anonymized data. Previously, data could flow freely, as I mentioned, between any EEA country, and that obviously previously included the UK. But any other country under the GDPR is known as a third country. Obviously, this also includes the UK uh, following the end of the Brexit transition period. So when you're transferring data to a third country, you need to have either an adequacy decision, as you mentioned previously, in place in favour of that country, saying effectively that the data laws of that country are adequate enough to be able to safely transfer personal data to that country. Or alternatively, you need other safeguards to be implemented instead. So obviously, we now have to think in the UK that if an adequacy decision isn't made, which is what the European Commission are currently trying to decide on, then we might have to put in place other safeguards to ensure that data can still flow between the EU and the UK safely. Does that adequacy decision, obviously that's quite an important factor, do they have a specific timeline to that and are we still working now as if we were before, you know, part of the EU so data can flow freely or are we just waiting for this adequacy decision? So that's a great question and was actually a nice Christmas present, I think you could say, for anyone (laughs) interested in the GDPR. They basically decided under the uh, trade cooperation agreement between the EU and the UK that in advance of an adequacy decision being made, there was going to be a grace period of between four and six months in which data could continue to flow freely as if an adequacy decision had been made in favour of the UK. In the meantime, the European Commission are trying to decide whether they're going to grant an adequacy decision in favour of the UK or not. The ICO, the Information Commissioner's Office, which is the supervisory body concerning data protection in the UK, have recommended, of course, that companies should start to think about what they're going to do if an adequacy decision isn't made in favour of the UK. The main thing that they're recommending is that companies start to think about putting in place what's called standard contractual clauses. So if countries don't have an adequacy decision in their favour, then you need to put alternative safeguards in place. And the most common one of those is what's known as standard contractual clauses, clauses that can be annexed to a data sharing agreement, data processing agreement. They're approved by the commission, so you can't play around with them. And it's basically a case of ensuring that your internal practices are compliant with these standard contractual clauses to safeguard any information 
that flows. And there is a negotiation going on at the moment, isn't there, between the EU and the US about data flow? There is. So there was a case that was ruled on towards the end of last year. It's known as the Schrems case. Previously, we had the benefit of the EU-US privacy shield. So this was another mechanism, another safeguard that was in place that meant that data could flow freely between the EU and the US. But unfortunately, the Schrems case invalidated the privacy shield. So that means that any companies that were signed up to it have to now look at an alternative safeguard to be able to continue to transfer data between those countries. You mentioned these standard contract clauses. So is it actually the standard contract clauses with the UK or is it with the EU? Are we dealing those in or reporting those into? So the clauses themselves, uh, I say clauses, it's, it's basically a contract that you would kind of annex to an existing contract. The contracting parties would be a controller or processor based in the EU and a controller or processor based in a different country. So it could be the UK or it could be India or the US. The contractor then itself governs the relationship between the two, uh, deals with if something goes wrong, the obligations of each party and what they have to do to ensure compliance. One of the key things is that they have an obligation to implement what's known as TOMS, technical and organisational measures, and they are basically the day-to-day safeguards that you have to have in place, so things like encryption, restricted access, things like that to ensure Uh, safeguarding the data. I mean, Carl, I imagine you're a company, a worldwide business, entirely reliant, I guess, or at least very keen to have as much free flow of data as is possible without having to tie yourself up in contracts and the like in order to retrieve and disseminate that data. In this Brexit world, we're told there's a lot of opportunity for Britain. Have you seen anything that you would like to see go further that would help your business that might serve you better to have the United Kingdom as your headquarters? This kind of brings me on to a topic of like growth for the UK. So we've always used the UK as sort of a bounce board into the US, partly because it's an easier time zone than most of Europe, but also, you know, it's a sort of a billing centre and it's very similar in terms of cultural aspects. I think one of the things you mentioned it there, Nick, as well, you know, there's there's agreements going on constantly at the moment between EU and, and US, but also I know there's stuff going on between the UK and all these other countries as well. From our perspective, is just how we fit in all of this, especially for things like, you know, uh, billings and we talk about data flow uh, as well in particular how we're affected now with other countries yeah i mean maddie would the british government be looking to seek a competitive business advantage over the eu by changing data flow laws i mean it's very possible there are discussions ongoing between the uk and the us just as they are between the eu and the us to look at if some kind of agreement can come into force one big issue i know when the european commission have been considering this adequacy decision for the uk one of the issues is that our surveillance laws are quite similar to the US and not hugely aligned with the GDPR. And so there may be some kind of better tie-in perhaps between the UK and the US for that reason that maybe we'll decide to go down that route in the future. Commercially, that would obviously have a huge effect on UK businesses that often you know, do work very closely with, uh, with EU countries and often have, you know, organisations and uh, subsidiaries within other countries in the EU. But it will definitely be very interesting to see how it develops and if the existing rules do change. I mean, this has implications for almost 
every business. I know you are both immersed in that world, but for any company that say uses a platform or an accounting software that originates in a cloud in the United States or is collecting data from customers all over the world. What would you say, Maddie, that any companies whose data flow does extend beyond these borders needs to be thinking about going forward? You need to be aware that there are changes coming and they're happening as we speak and more changes are on their way. For countries that are sharing data with, say you're an EU company, you're sharing data um, as test beds are with, say, countries in Asia or the US, then they might already be familiar with standard contractual clauses to be able to allow them to transfer the data from the EU or the UK to these other third countries. That's going to be another key mechanism going forward to perhaps have to have them also in places between the UK and the EU and also obviously with the US. So that's certainly something that should be taken into consideration. But really, I mean, I think it's always going to be a balance, a commercial balance of weighing up kind of the costs of, for example, as you say, implementing new data centers elsewhere, or instead just ensuring that you have appropriate safeguards and measures in place within your organization to protect the data that you're dealing with. You actually do do some work with the London Business Hub, advising companies on what to do with their data post-Brexit. Are you giving them that general advice? Are they coming to you with specific queries and issues that you're just left to say, wait and see? Or, or do you take them through the fail-safe procedure where they can set up individual contracts and plan Bs, etc. Yeah, so as you mentioned, we're working with the um, London Business Hub and the fantastic initiative that's actually being funded by the UK government to offer kind of up to about 90 minutes of complimentary support to small and medium-sized businesses and they're located in London to deal with challenges faced as a result of Brexit. And as you can imagine, GDPR is uh, one of the key areas uh, that challenges are certainly um, arising and being faced. We would have to look to the ICO recommendation when we're giving out advice on this because they recommend preparing as if an adequacy decision isn't going to be made in the UK's favour. But what, what could that mean for someone like Carl? Would he have to say to his boss, we need to build a data centre in the UK PDQ just in case they do shut down the pipe to Germany? Interestingly, when you're talking about setting up a data centre in the UK, I presume you're talking about UK data. Everything in our platform is held, generally speaking, in Germany. But of course, yeah, it would mostly be the testers, you know, the testers data that we have. So people who are actually physically located. So yeah, it would be the UK data basically that we're we're focusing on here. And the good news is that the UK have made an adequacy decision already in favour of the EU. So UK data can still be transferred to countries in the EU. So that would include Germany freely. So you actually don't need to make any changes in that regard, other obviously than ensuring that your internal processes are kind of up to scratch. So that way round, it's much simpler, uh, which is great. It's more just if you're transferring or processing EU data within countries outside of the EU, um, in this case, obviously the UK, you know, processing could literally include someone being able to access that data, not necessarily doing it on a daily basis, but if they have the ability to access that data, then it is caught and you do need to consider alternative safeguards. Maddie, is it a situation whereby you just want to keep an eye on this and how it's developing to make sure you don't get bitten on the backside? Or are there genuine opportunities with the way that the laws around data flow are being shaped in this world? I think it's definitely a case of ensuring compliance at the moment and making sure that you are aware of the laws. I mean, I'm sure you know that the fines under the 
EU and UK GDPR for non-compliance are enormous, as mm. much as up to 4% of global annual turnover, which is obviously huge. So there you go, all you need to know about European data flow. My thanks to Carl Fryer from Testbirds and Madeleine Rhodes from Redfern Legal. Now, since those interviews have been recorded, the European Commission has published a draft adequacy decision in favour of the UK. This still has to obtain final approval by the European Data Protection Board. So at the moment, the current situation as described in this podcast stands. But we checked in again with Madeleine Rhodes and she believes it looks almost inevitable that the adequacy decision will now be made in the UK's favour. Join me next time as we pair another business with a Brexit expert to talk about the challenges and opportunities they're facing. If some of the issues raised by our discussion today have got you thinking about what you might need to do next, the London Business Hub is here to help. You can book an appointment with one of their EU specialist advisors who can help you work through the issues that might affect your business. They can also provide free specialist support from employment lawyers, accountants specialising in the new VAT regime and experts on IP and data. Go to www.businesshub.london.